By his appearance before the Foreign Affairs Select Committee in July 2003, the suspicion was weapons inspector Dr. David Kelly was the source revealing government intelligence on Iraq had been sexed up. I reckon you're chaff. You've been thrown up to divert uh, our probing. You ever felt like a fool guy? I mean, you've been set up, haven't you? A man under pressure, he'd once said, I will probably be found dead in the woods. Within days of this appearance at the committee, that's exactly what happened. On this date at 2.23 a.m., Sugarland police discovered John C. Baxter um, located inside his vehicle with an apparent gunshot wound to the head. Uh, at this time, it has been a suicide note located. Sir, did you give any indication whether this was related to Enron's bankruptcy? We do know that he was an Enron employee, but as far as any other indications of why he committed suicide, no, we do not. Kerr McGee did not get a fair trial. The, this uh, was the vault where they kept uh, the plutonium. And as you can see, it's still pretty solid. Would Kerr McGee, this massive uh, corporation uh, murder one of its employees. Uh, that's a very big deal, very big step for them to take. That it could take three more years to settle the dispute over Karen Silkwood. Lauren Farr, News 8, Oklahoma City. The lonely stretch of Highway 74 outside of Crescent, Oklahoma, isn't anything remarkable. What happened here would ignite a national debate, inspire an Oscar-nominated movie, and become a constant source of unanswered questions. Welcome everybody to nwczradio.com channel ones down the rabbit hole. I'm Big D. I'm Brandon. And it's good to have everybody along. Thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We know you have lots of options out there. There's there's so many podcasts, man. It blows my mind. And then you got the YouTube channels. It's like it's everywhere. It's amazing anybody listens to us. But those of you that do and we know you're out there, we really, really appreciate it. Yes, yes, we do. Take care of a couple of things before we get into today's topic. Last week, and and honestly, Brandon and I we struggled with whether we we actually wanted to ask people to to leave review. And I and unless it's an emergency, we will never do it again. But for yeah. those of you who stepped up to the plate and wrote positive reviews on Apple Podcasts, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. I believe we've completely shoved those. And it's not, I don't even care about negative reviews. It was it was what was said in those reviews yeah. that really bothered us the most and just didn't want it up there for the, the first thing people see when they're perusing around going, hey, should I listen to this? So thank you to all of you. And there were some fantastic reviews, honest reviews. And, and that's that means a lot to us. It really does. And uh, again, we'll never ask you to do it again unless there's another emergency like that. But we really, really appreciate it because we want this to be organic. We, I'm not soliciting, you know, kudos. And I don't yeah. think Brandon is either. And it's, that's not why we're in it. We're not, we're not here to feed our egos or to, um, you know, rock the world with our podcast. 
what what we're here to do is just to explore the unexplained to provide information and put it out there and we've we've talked about all of that so just bottom line is those of you who stepped up wrote some positive reviews heartfelt thanks from us oh yeah thank you guys i mean it, it meant a lot to both of us i mean that you guys you know that we asked for it and we got as many as we did yeah it was very very positive it was very very nice so appreciate that uh want to thank our buddies over there at FringeRadioNetwork.com. Hey, I found something out just the other day. Speaking of YouTube, mm-hmm. Fringe Radio Network has their own YouTube channel, and we're on it. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> Did you know that? No. Yeah. If you if you're on YouTube and you you whatever search up Fringe Radio Network, they have their own channel and they drop all their shows on there, and and we're on there. So if you happen to be on YouTube or you got YouTube on in the background, or that's how you want listen. We don't have our own channel because we'd get kicked right off. I'm, I don't know how Friends Radio Network stays on there, honestly. But uh, yeah, I don't know. flying under the radar. So g- kudos to those guys. And FriendsRadioNetwork.com carrying our program. And we appreciate them and the fact that they do that. A lot of great emails. I do know. I was going to say, I do know a lot of people do that. You know, they, they'll record, like, you know, people especially record, like, us through the, the, you know, we do it through Discord, but, you know, doing it through different things video like this they'll record the videos and then put that up on youtube but i don't think anyone wants to see this ugly mug no 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 we have no. definitely faces made for radio yes yes we do which is yeah. why i never went into uh tv or or you know what do they call it vlogging never never yeah, vlogging, never all that way yeah, yeah never appealed to me because uh, i would well it'd be a horror show unintentionally yeah a lot of great emails this week, too. We want to thank you very much. And uh, you can always email us at downtherh at protonmail.com. Downtherh at protonmail.com. We love hearing from you. Suggestions, comments, questions. You need some some of our references or whatever. We're, we're glad to provide those. Whatever you need. You just want to say, hey, that's great, too. Or you want to be put on the list in case we get banned um, and go down. We, we've got that list going as well, and uh, we haven't had to use it, thankfully. But oh, I do want to address something. We did get an email from a listener who, was, who said that some of the podcast, and specifically the last one, she was having trouble hearing it, that it was garbled or whatever. Now, I've checked it all on our end, and I've listened mm-hmm. to it off of several different devices. I, I don't see a problem, but... If for whatever reason you have a problem with any podcast that we put up as far as it's not coming through correctly or it's it's too garbled on the platform that you're listening to, just send us an email. We'll send you the link to it. Yeah. Yes, definitely. So, not, yeah, I don't know why that was weird because, I, I, like I said, I did the same thing as you. I checked on my, my iPad. I checked on my Android phone going through Spotify, also going through Apple Podcasts. I tried every way I could to listen to it, and it seemed to work okay for me. Sometimes it might just be the device you're listening to it on. I don't know. And the device didn't like hearing about Satan. So, yeah, hey, maybe, maybe you had your Satan voice on, and they just didn't recognize you. That's true. That's true. So, so there's always that could possibility. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into today's topic because this is, uh, I think, this is a fascinating topic and it's got a lot of weird turns and and twists to it we all have heard of i'm sure 
Julian Assange and like Edward yeah. Snowden, probably a lot of people know of Frank Serpico and <clears throat> Linda Tripp. These are some very famous whistleblowers. But yeah, there's a lot of crazy, strange stories around whistleblowers through history that have are still a mystery. They remain unsolved. Yeah. And in fact, I think it, it, if you really want to get down to it, I think some of the reasons that guys like James O'Keefe, maybe Snowden and Asajj and some of the other uh, Aaron Brockovich, a lot of these famous whistleblowers or figures that were have been fighting back against the establishment. The reason that they're not they haven't been taken out is because of these early ones who were taken out and they've who, whoever it is that's protecting the whistleblowers have had to take it much more serious. And so possibly and it's you, you find some very interesting things when you start looking at whistleblowers. I and mean, one of the ones that I found is some of the random people that were considered whistleblowers that ended up becoming, you know, like heroes. Oh yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of oh. that. But I thought we'd start yeah. off with uh I I found a timeline which is I thought was quite fascinating because you know, I mean, in my lifetime, there's been some very, there's been some famous whistleblowers. This timeline that I found actually goes all the way back to 1777, where America's first, with America's first whistleblowers, and it was a guy named Samuel Shaw and Richard Marvin. They had witnessed their commanding officer torturing uh, British pr prisoners of war and reported it to the higher ups. So they were, they've been earmarked as America's first whistleblowers. Of course, for their, uh, for their honesty, they were kicked out and were, had libel suits and stuff, you know, put, put against them. Congress enacted in 1778 because of these guys, the nation's first whistleblower protection law. And, um, wow. yeah. So they, because, they went to Congress for help. They they were they were they were they were afraid. Actually, they were scared. They were in jail. Yeah. They, they, they there was a lot of bad. You know, they went against the army, which is you know we'll find out later when we talk about Pat Tillman and, and the others. You don't go. You, if you go up against the CIA, the FBI, and the government, it's it can get really hairy. See, now, I found those ones, but I also found another one that they said actually was before them. Oh, That who? was the first American, and that was Benjamin Franklin. Well, okay, so but, but I, I agree, probably the first one on U.S. soil, but I don't think U.S. was actually the U.S. yet. No, it wasn't, and that was kind of the thing where the was, argument came That was the first. The US. That was the colonies. What, uh, because it was the colonies, because he, he blew the whistle on it was what the uh, – Massachusetts governor who was oh. sending letters to you like England saying we're not being hard enough on these people we need to screw them over more. oh yeah no yeah yeah Benjamin Franklin was a one of these days we'll have to go down the rabbit hole I do not know what to think about Benjamin Franklin I'm not sure I, I've read a lot of on him too being like a, a womanizing like drunk so oh I mean, no he was he moment. was and he was a part of a lot of secret societies it's hard to tell whether he was a hero or a complete a-hole Honestly, I think a little of both from a lot of stuff I've read. I mean, while his, you know, not to get off topic too much, but while his wife was dying in the States, he was over in England, parting it up 
with oh, it was one of the secret societies over there, the the Devil's Club or whatever that was called. And uh, yeah, and and they even they sent a letter and said your wife's dying. You need to get back here. And he's like, I'm having too much fun. She'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> It'll be fine. They found bones, like lots of bones, under his house in England. You know, yeah. they think he was doing um, experiments on people. I don't know. We'll go down that rabbit hole. T today we're talking about the whistleblower. Oh, we should do one day. Yeah, he's definitely an interesting one. Where I've gone down that a couple times. Yeah, he's he's fascinating. Uh, of course, everybody I think should know about Frank Serpico. I'm skipping ahead a little bit here. So this is '71. Mm -hmm. He's probably the most famous because he went up against the New York City police. Uh, he did not go missing, but he was. Uh, they were definitely after him, and they had to protect him. And as you go a little further ahead, then we're gonna where we're gonna start today, 1974. This is Karen Silkwood. And a lot of people may not recognize the name, but there was a famous movie that Meryl Streep was in that was that was titled Silkwood. Yes. Karen Silkwood, I think this was another one where this, uh, this was where things really started getting weird, and I think people started to pay attention more to, uh, like really pay attention to people who were outing companies, big companies, big companies and usually yeah. they're they're companies that have cozy relationships with with the government or multiple governments like you know it's not like not like going up against you know the police union or um you know i don't know some chain store or factory or whatever they're going up against the big boys and karen silkwood was yes she so, was so, yeah, so let's start off with Karen Silkwood. She was a lab analyst at uh, this Oklahoma nuclear facility. She also was a union activist. And when I say activist, she wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it's a different term than we use today. She wasn't out marching and it was signs in front of the building or anything. She was just, she was on like the safety committee. She was very active in the union. Yes was she was really concerned about the health and safety issues at the plant, which in 1974, there were not a whole lot of regulations. Now, you can argue that now there's probably over-regulation, but th then there was yes. way under-regulation. So There was, because, I mean, it's one of those things, I mean, you know, some people know, some people don't. And, and in my real life, I'm actually a safety construction, safety professional, whatever, Um and that is one of the things like, you know, that reading this really made my 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 safety stuff go up in my brain. Oh, I but bet. In the 70s, that was the beginning. You know, we didn't even have OSHA until 1970. I know. What a mistake that was. The power they gave OSHA it, is just ridiculous. It, I will say this. In 1970, what they did with OSHA, I don't think was the problem. It wasn't until later yes. when OSHA got the power after too many accidents and right. finally they're like nope we're just actually taking control like you know it wasn't until the early 2000s where osha really had the power to walk in and that's something else we should go down sometime maybe there's that well yeah power. i mean it's the same you know, with almost government control of that yeah well it's almost the same with any government controlled um program that they they, they generally start out they, they sell it to you as this is going to be really good for you it's going to be really yep. helpful we're just here to make sure everything's you know on the up and up and then it turns into a monster, 
and OSHA is, yeah. is... We're here to help you, and now we're going to control you. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, Karen Silkwood, she part of the deal was, she in 1974, she testified before this Atomic Energy Commission. Because where she worked for was a plutonium... They were dealing with plutonium, uh, high levels of it. Actually, it was, and they had military contracts, and so th this was, uh, and this is in the middle of no, pretty much in the middle of nowhere in Oklahoma, which is how this stuff works. She discovered that her apartment was contaminated with high levels of plutonium, and it and it rang the alarm bell. She couldn't. She was like, "This doesn't make any sense." And the yeah. high, the highest concentration, which I this I thought this was really interesting. The, high, the highest concentration she found was in her bathroom and in a sandwich in a refrigerator, which leads me to believe it was coming through her pores, right? Yeah. You bite, you bite, oh, in, very possibly. bite into the sandwich. There's some of your saliva in there. You go to the bathroom. You're releasing all kind of bodily fluids and so forth. Your body's trying to, to flush out all the toxins. Yeah, or you take a shower and, you know, you get steamy and sometimes, you know— it, it, so I think it, she, I think she was the carrier, obviously. I think so too. I think she was exposed at work and, and was bringing it home with her. Um, I do find it funny though that really, if you look at it, she had the same job as Homer Simpson. But um, <laughs> we all know he's radioactive. I don't know. I don't know why that stuck in my head the whole time I was studying this. I'm like, she's got the same job as Homer Simpson. But, um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I think she was bringing it home with her. And like you said, I think that's why it was, you know, in the, in the sandwich, you know, it was coming out of her pores as she would touch things. It would come out, you know, in her sweat and her, you know, her body's own way of getting rid of toxins. And that's why you were seeing it in the bathroom. Yeah. I like mean, that. she basically discovered that a lot of the employees there were at high risk of radioactive contamination. And obviously, I think she was. That's what. That's why she was. You know, rightfully so. She got freaked out. In uh, so, she contacted. So she started basically documenting this stuff, and she contacted a New York Times reporter. Initially, sent him, if I understand this right, she sent him some of, the, not all, but some of the doc, just enough to t to tell him this is legit. This is real. Uh, because over the phone call, he was like, how do I know this is true? Why would I become, you know, I'm not going to fly to Oklahoma for nothing. And so she had uh, basically sent him enough stuff to pique his interest and, and for him to be willing to take the trip. On November 13th, 1974, she's 28 years old, and she is heading to a meeting with this New York Times reporter and apparently she had two folders. One of them was full of documents and photos that she would, uh, she said that would show this extent of this problem. And then the other one was, I think the, st I think from what, uh, what everything I read, it had the stuff that she had already sent him. So it was like, here's the originals. I sent you copies, right? So that's one folder. And here's the folder of all the stuff I haven't shown, shown you that that's what she had in the car with her. She's on this lonely road. She's driving along. And then now we go to the reporter and he's waiting for her and she never shows up. He can't figure it out. So he thinks, may I've been stood up. Doesn't make sense. She seems so, you know, passionate about it. And it kind of concerned him. So he made some inquiries and it was actually it was 
he called her work and he was brushed off. They couldn't figure out where she was. Well, they found her. Her car hit a concrete culvert. And if you don't know what that is, uh, here in the, here, down here in the south, because it's so dry that when it rains, the, the ground can't handle it. It cannot soak it up. So we have along the side of the roads, we have the, they're ditches, basically. Some of them are made of concrete and some are just carved out. But that's where the water rushes into and, and they divert it off the roads and out, out of the, you know, it goes, the system, it goes to the river or whatever. Anyway, she's driving along and they, so they find that her car hit this concrete wall, this covert wall, and killed her. Now, the problem is, this is where the problem comes in because when they found her, there was, there was the folder, the second folder she was carrying, the folder of the, of the information the reporter had not seen was missing. According to private investigators, they found dents on the back of her car that suggested that she could have been pushed off the road. And there was also marijuana and I think quaaludes that had they found in in her car. All of her friends said no, nope, she never did any of those. There, there's been there's photos of her car like a couple of days before. There's been there were no dents on the car. She had, she she didn't report it as being in an accident or any of this stuff. They ruled it falling asleep at the wheel, and her death was ruled an accident, and that was that, pretty much. Nice and tidy. They did find in the autops- autopsy, though, the, some traces of alcohol and prescription sedatives. Now, here's the other problem with that. There's also some evidence that when she hit the wall, she wasn't, she hadn't, it, it took a while before she died. Like, she didn't die instantaneously. So there's theories that whoever pushed her off the road, watched her crash, went over, planted the stuff in her car, and forced this stuff down her throat. I don't know that that's true or not, but that's just one of the hypotheses. And I can see that. I mean, that was one of the things a lot of people really don't think, you know, I mean, but who knows? I mean, the one thing is, is you don't know what her body was going through with, I mean, because if you, on one of the things that I was reading, they said that, um, When she was tested, her body had 400 times the legal limit of plutonium contamination. I mean, that kind of contamination and, you know, nuclear contamination to the body is going to do some damage. Right. Maybe she was, you know, self-medicating, but I I don't think so. I don't. I really don't. You know, I, I think it was more something, you know, something fishy. According to a documents that I read. She had before this, not long before this accident, she had set off one of the plant monitors walking in testing for radioactivity and they had to, yeah. scr- they had to scrub her clean. Oddly enough, the plutonium that was found in her apartment was, they went back and they found some in her, ki- in, you know, it was her kitchen, bathroom and the bologna and cheese sandwich. The lawyers for Kerr McGee, <laughs> this is their explanation. They hypothesized that she had intentionally taken plutonium home to contaminate herself and that she was emotionally unstable and possibly had been affected 
by the use of tranquilizers, which is very interesting. Seeing how all most of her friends, well, all of her friends that they interviewed said they didn't know her to ever do drugs. So she had the quaaludes and the marijuana found in her car, and and some, I guess, some alcohol in her, which she maybe she could have. She wasn't over the legal limit. She could have had yeah. a beer. She could have drank a beer or had. A, she was probably nervous going to talk to the Times reporter. She could have had a drink, hit the road. It's 1974. You know, <laughs> people who weren't around in 74, there were people drinking while they were driving, a lot, including cops, a lot. <laughs> it was pretty common. Oh, yeah. And uh, the other thing, too, is it's like, you know, they found the pot and the quaaludes in a car, but none in her system. Yeah, and so no, tr- and no, mar- no history of it. Yeah, no marijuana and in her system. system. So there's, but there's a bright side to the story. The Kerr-McGee plant, they they got sued and they got they they lost, and they they got investigated and and they closed down a year later. According to Time, Westinghouse, which had been buying its fuel rods, complained that their poor, poor quality, that they were of poor quality and refused to renew its contract. So basically, everybody, they knew. I think what happens in situations like this. You know, they became the scapegoat. It's like we can't. You're shut down. There's probably some backroom deal made. Yeah. With the higher, just like Enron, you know, backroom deal with the higher ups. Like, look, you guys went too far on this one. It's too hot. We're gonna have to sacrifice you guys. However, you guys at the top, we're gonna slide you over here. Oh yeah, which is what happens. I'm sure those people ended up in cush jobs at you know somewhere else. <laughs> Yeah, no doubt about it. So, so that's Karen Silkwood, and if you've never seen the movie, I see uh, it's it's a fascinating movie. I think it won. I think Meryl Streep won some awards for her. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but it is it is a good movie. It's interesting. It's very interesting. Uh, another guy, another one we want to talk about is Pat Tillman. I I I went down the rabbit hole on this guy and. For those of you who don't know, this was a big deal. This was during the Iraq War. And Pat Tillman was a was a really good football player. He was pro, pro football player. I wouldn't say he was a superstar, but he was on the rise. He had only been playing a few years. He was he quit. He just one day up and quit and went and joined up with the army and became an army ranger. He got, this was because all because of 9/11. After 9/11 happened and we went, you know, we went and invaded several countries but primarily Iraq. Yeah. And he uh he wanted in on the action. So he was um in action, got killed by suppose the first well there's been several stories that came out but the first one was that he was killed by friendly fire and they ended up kind of coming around and sticking with that, but there's a lot of wiggle room in the in the in between and it all starts off with this uh, interview that he gave two weeks before he was he was just about to get out he had like two weeks left he spoke to this journalist out in the field and here's here's how that went the journal the journalist asked pat he said pat you're down to your uh tour you're getting out of here pretty soon. Pat said, yeah, I'm, I'm out in two weeks and I'm going back to the States. The journalist asked, are you going to stay in the army? 
Pat, no, when I get out, I'm going to be the biggest whistleblower America has ever seen. So this, this, is, this is what Pat Tillman told a journalist. He had, um, so Pat had set up meetings with some governmental corruption social critic, this guy named Noam, you, you probably heard of Noam Chomsky. Yeah. So he had, he had set up a meeting with Noam Chomsky for when he got back to the States. And he told Noam and several of this reporter, too, that he had a diary, been keeping this diary that was loaded with his words, loaded with damning accounts of corruption. And he was going to share all of these with Noam Chomsky. Well, a couple of days after this interview, he was hit with three bullets to the forehead by a unknown soldier. And the official story came out that he was killed First, he was killed by enemy fire in the mountains of Afghanistan. And ambushed. Yeah, and yeah, ambushed. Well, according to the records, there's a big problem with that. There was no firefight that day, none on record. So uh, could, they picked the wrong. They really picked the wrong guy on this one because Pat Tillman already had a fan base, and he was he was NFL star. Who he was a hero. Yeah. Everybody looked up to Pat Tillman. Like man, guy gave up a lucrative career in the nfl fame and glory to go fight for the country we were all everybody was rooting for pat few a few weeks later after some scrutiny the army claimed that it was a case of mistaken identity and he was shot by one of his own from about 40 yards away again there was no record of any firefighting that day and Pat Tillman's mom, Mary, told, uh, told witnesses that the rounds were placed within the diameter of a U.S. quarter into his forehead. And an autopsy revealed that the three bullets were tightly placed and that he was shot with a two-two-three round, possibly an M16 from 10 yards away. The medical evidence did not match up with, with the scenario as described because the original story, they said it was about 40 to 50 yards away. Even then, 40 or 50 yards away, how would you, if this is supposedly friendly fire, how would you not recognize one of your own fellow soldiers? That's really, especially out in the open. This wasn't like they were, because this was at the camp. This was at the base. It wasn't like they were hiking in the mountains or like out in the forest somewhere. So the conclusion is is that he was was shot in broad daylight from 10, 10 years away. Public report describes how a member of Tillman's unit burned his body armor and uniform in an apparent attempt to hide the fact that he was killed by friendly fire. His notebook, in which Tillman had recorded some of his thoughts on Afghanistan, was also burned. Suspicious. There's a, yeah, that's pretty suspicious right there. So then there was a um, FOIA request of the DOD, and here's the following information that was confirmed. One, there, there has never been evidence of any enemy fire found on the scene and no member of Tillman's group had been hit by enemy fire. None of them. Two, the three-star general who withheld details of Tillman's death from his parents for a number of months told investigators approximately 70 times that he had a bad memory and couldn't recall details of his actions. 70 times this three-star general is like, I don't know what happened. I have no idea. I don't know what time. I don't know where I was. Don't know what day it was. Don't know who he was. Don't know what a bullet is. I mean, 70 times this guy. Well, that's the best 
Brigadier General you can have because you know. Is his name Millie? I wonder if know. I wonder if that's Millie. Because <laughs> I mean, if you don't know what happened, you know. Yeah, then you can't be held you can't accountable. Get in trouble for it. Number. Th- I don't know because I don't remember. Yeah, number three on the FOIA request. Army attorneys sent each other congratulatory emails for keeping criminal criminal investigators at bay as the Army conducted an internal friendly fire investigation that resulted in administrative or non-criminal punishments. So whoever, we don't even know who it was that shot him. But whoever it was didn't get any punishments. And number four, Army doctors told the investigators that Tillman's wound suggested murder because the medical evidence did not match up with the scenario as described. What they th- what what was he hiding, what, or not hiding? But what was he recording? They think that he had uncovered the connection between the Army and the CIA heroin ring, and that he had been. Writing down between, uh, according to the CDC, between 2002 and 2013, the rate of heroin-related overdose deaths nearly quadrupled. Soldiers like Tillman, who had never dreamed of being involved in illicit government corruption, were were being forced to comply with helping these in these poppy and heroin fields. And he was, I think, he was stunned about it. Acres and acres of poppy fields for the production of heroin, which would be exported around the globe, end up in the hands of children only to produce addicts and ultimately the de-evolution of mankind. Apparently, according to some people that Tillman had talked to, tens of thousands of soldiers had gone through there and witnessed what Pat Tillman had to deal with. And he was he was writing it all down. So... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I read on it, you know, that he talked about, you know, he noticed the differences between his experience and, wow, big surprise, the depiction of it in the media. Um, you know, he was assigned, one thing that I was talking about, he was assigned to, to a unit that would help release uh, Jessica Lynch, the POW yeah. from the, in, in Iraq, um, and saw firsthand to be a sensational spin on the story. You know, while the military portrayed Lynch as being in extreme danger, she had been actually been taken care of by Iraqi doctors in a hospital. Right. That's one thing a lot of people, if you actually go down that rabbit hole, everything we believe about what happened to Jessica Lynch, it was basically like, I'm not going to say it was a day spa, but it, it was like going to, you know, anybody who lives around here knows it's like a day in Kent. I mean, it's not that bad. Right. From everything that I've read. I mean, it wasn't great, but it wasn't as much as the, the, the media made it sound like she was tortured and everything else. She was in a hospital being taken care of. Well, and along these same lines, the other whistleblower that I came across who that died a really suspicious death and still to this day, I mean, I'm pretty sure it, it's pretty obvious he was murdered, was Gary Webb. Familiar with this guy? I, a little bit. Yeah, I, it was I, a, I saw a little bit on him, but I didn't go deep down that. Well, it was, I remember when this happened. It was a big deal. He was a writer for the San Jose Mercury. And he had uncovered the connection between the CIA and basically crack. Same thing Tillman was, same thing. It was the same thing Tillman was basically looking into. And yes. he started writing these stories for the, uh, the paper and was putting all this stuff out there. He lost his, well, they came after him. They smeared him publicly. His marriage was was destroyed but he 
he kept pressing on. In fact, there's a quote. He says, after spending three years of my life looking into this, I'm more convinced than ever that the U.S. government's responsibility for the drug problem in South Central Los Angeles and other inner cities is greater than I ever wrote in the newspaper. So he was on the hunt. He was just about to publish like his fi- one of his what he called his final expose, although I think according to that, he would have kept going. But th- this was supposed to be the big, the big bomb, the thing that connected it all. And they found him dead in his apartment with two bullet holes to the head. Okay? That's key because it was ruled a, a suicide and the investigation was immediately closed. How do you shoot yourself twice in the head committing suicide? It's one of those things, cybernetic one, where they're going to talk about, well, it would be possible if you had like a semi-automatic gun in your hand kind of could twitch after the first shot. He didn't he have a, a semi-automatic. He used a 38 revolver. Right. He used a 38 revolver. So I have a, a 45 revolver, and I know it's hard to pull the trigger the first time. Well, not only that. If you're like if you shoot yourself in the head, whether it be a twenty-two, a thirty-eight, or you know seven millimeter, whatever, even if you don't kill yourself, you you are not there enough to pull it again. I'm sorry, it's just not going to happen. Like you're barely hanging on to life at best, so there's no way you're going to be able to pull the trigger again. And the fact the thing when when reading the report. They say the first shot he placed near his right ear and it went through his face and exited at his left cheek. Because that's how you commit suicide. You're telling me that someone, yeah. And he was still conscious enough to say, you know, maybe I missed that time. Let's take another shot. Let's do it. Let's try it again. Well, the fact that they all, that they come in, they rush in. And this happens almost every, on all of these that, that I've read through when they, when it's an obvious cover-up, they rush in, they make an immediate decision, and then case closed. Like, that's it. And they, cu- and they it's, it's almost, uh, either they bungle it, like, with the, like when we talked about uh, JonBenet Ramsey, where they come in and just make a clown show out of it, so where nothing is, you know, everything's contaminated, and there's, you can hardly find any evidence because it's all been tainted. Or it's something like yeah. this, where they rush in and they go, nope, Suicide, case closed, done, and and then you know lock lock the the lock on the box and throw the key away and like we're never going to touch that again. Everybody can just go about your business. Two shots to the back of the head. It's it's fine. It's suicide. So that's why it makes me worried for guys for people who are out there now. And again, the most famous, I think, in the media these days would be you know, Assange and Snowden. But hey, I mean even. Epstein, you could say, was a possible was possibly going to blow the whistle. Jeffrey Epstein. Possibly. Also, that's why a lot of people are concerned about Ghislaine Maxwell. You know, how, how has she held on so long? And you know, she went through this whole trial. We heard we heard you know hardly anything about it. How is she holding on? So it makes you wonder how you know is it because they're because they got to Epstein, therefore. She knows her place. Like she knows what's going to happen to her. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I've wondered on that because I mean, there was so much. 
because that's what kills me is i mean especially you see now with the media blitz we had the whole media thing on that you know the 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 17 year old that you know defended himself and all that stuff and that whole trial and just totally blew that one out of proportion but then we have someone who was helping run a child sex ring and there's like a blip about it every couple of days maybe if if that i mean yeah, if yeah I mean, to find anything on it i've had to search for it every time if i want to see oh what happened with the trial i mean oh hey look she was found guilty on a few things like three days ago and nobody said a damn word there's a gal that i follow on youtube her i think her channel is like nadia of new york or something like that well she she got drawn uh her name was drawn for the i guess the pub in the public pool and she went to every single day of the trial and i and i i didn't watch it every night but she would give like a 30 minute recap of what she heard and what she saw and almost every time i've watched it she would she was stunned at just the incompetence and, and she 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 thinks that they're throwing the trial the prosecutors because they're not asking any tough questions they're 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 not really going after her they're not even she's not being her feet's not being held to the fire there's been some you know gasp moments where she's talked about you know what they what they did with young young girls or or how she you know would recruit them and things like that which we everybody already knows that story what everybody's waiting for is what's the deal with the list who are all these people who did epstein funnel these to None of that's yeah. that none of it's even been asked and it's it's unbelievable. So I think some sort of deal's been made there for her in order for her to stay alive. She doesn't name names or you know, she doesn't go off too much or the only one she's really talked about is like Prince Andrew and I th- you know, I think he's become I think in my opinion he's become the sacrificial lamb of the bunch. That's what I've been thinking about it too, that he is sacrificial lamb. They're like, okay, we've got to give the public something. Right. We have to give them something. Nobody really likes Prince Andrew anyway. So so let's give him a royal. People love hating the royal. Exactly. Yeah. So they they didn't even have to draw straws. I think they just said, it can't be Gates. You know, we're, we can't go after the Clintons because that's too hot. And they got too much no, power. Yeah. So... Anyway, let's move forward. There's another group here that I thought was interesting. And there's all kind of whistleblowers, but this this one struck struck me as odd and stuck out because th- this had to do with the BP, the British Petroleum oil spill. And within a year or so, and this was I think this was 2011 when all of this went down. Half at least 10 experts. So in a year and a half from the from the the big BP blow up, at least 10 expert whistleblowers died in under mysterious circumstances. The interesting from thing BP? is yeah. Yeah, I'll go through them. So the interesting thing here is that as I as and I'm going to go through them quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on each one. So the thing that's interesting about them is on their face, if you just read each of these obituaries, you would not think anything too conspiratorial, you know, about it. But you put them all together, 
and you realize what these what all of them knew and what they were all what what they were poised to do to BP that's where things get strange so you have LSU scientist Gregory Stone he was 54 he died of un, of an unknown illness Tucker Mendoza he died let's see what happened to him oh he was he was struck in the neck and the bottom somebody just showed up at his house and shot shot him three times just right at the door and that happens. yeah no that's you know that happens a lot dr thomas manton former president and ceo of international oil and um oil spill control corporation they put him in jail and he was murdered in jail december 31st 2010 john p wheeler the second former pentagon official presidential aide was beaten to death in an assault and his body was discovered in a Wil- wilmington landfill November 23rd, James Patrick Black. He was um, incident commander for BP's Gulf of Mexico oil spill response team. He died in a small plane crash. November 15th, Chitra Chahan, age 33, worked in the USF Center for Biological Defense and Global Health Infectious Disease Research. She was found dead in an apartment of an apparent suicide by cyanide. November 2010, Dr. Jeffrey Garner, he uh, nobody knows what happened to him. He's just he's missing in action. He just disappeared. October six, Roger Grewster. He was a uh, is age sixty six. He was bicycling and hit by a truck. Never found. Nobody knows what the truck just drove off. August 9th, Senator Ted Stevens of Alaska, eighty six. Oh, he was killed in a plane crash. August thirteenth, Matthew Roy Simmons, seven age sixty seven. He was found in a in a hot tub. And they said that he died from accidental drowning with a heart disease. April 6th, scientist Joseph Morrissey, age 46, was fatally shot. What police say was a home invasion robbery. January 26th, Anthony Nichols Tremonte, age 31. He was arrested on child porn charges. And, um, and I, think he was, I think he was killed in jail. But anyway, so you got all the, so all 10 of those. Within a year and a half, and these were all people who were part of the whistleblower team against BP. So, again, some of them seem suspicious, more suspicious than others, but you add them all up, and it's like they were being knocked off. I would have been super nervous had I been anybody else on that team. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, to have that many people all of a sudden just – you know, and it's one of those things, you know, oh, wow, that's some crazy coincidences. I mean, there's coincidences, and then there's like, mm, yeah, I don't think so. I think that I think that's more than a coincidence. Oh, yeah. I think that's definitely way more than, uh, than a coincidence, for sure. Uh, another famous one was Michael Rupert. Did you find anything? Did you find out about him? No. Who was, which one was he? So, Michael Rupert. So maybe. Yeah, I read a bunch. I think it was his story that Webb was started on for the San Jose Mercury News. He was started. He was he kind of picked up where Michael Rupert left off, and Rupert got killed. Rupert ended up disappearing as well because he was uh, he was kind of cocky, and he had he said he had tons and tons of. Uh, information and he had tons of 
I don't know, documents that could back it all up. And according to him, he said 9-11 was a predictable event and it was motivated precisely and solely by peaking oil and nothing else. Also, he said all corporate owned and publicly traded media is our first and foremost immediate enemy. <laughs> here, here. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he was um, he was a very famous whistleblower that uh, ended up he ended up dying. Huh. And I'm trying to figure, I'm trying to get down well, to. I'm reading a little on here. It says he he supposedly, like a lot of these whistleblowers, that supposedly killed himself. Yeah, he was found dead in his home in 2014 with a gunshot wound to the head. They say he also left a note and his death was ruled a suicide. But from what I what I could find, nobody knows what the note says. They just again, they would they rushed in and declared it a suicide. Oh yeah, there was a note. No, you don't need to see the note. And then case closed. I do love that on one of the things that he did, there there was a report that he said um someone asked him. You know, he said, the question I'm asked most frequently in my lectures is why I haven't been killed yet. I have two answers. First, it is not cost effective and the response would cause more problems than it would solve. I'm not important enough to kill. Yeah, well. Secondly, I will not die one minute before God has decided. And that's true. But, <laughs> but again, he, from all the accounts that I read and people that were around him, they said he, he wasn't depressed. That he didn't. Um, he, he was happy, you know. He he was he he really enjoyed blowing, you know, do sticking it to the CIA and, and the government. And so, I mean, maybe he committed suicide. Maybe there's some other stuff going on. But it is really strange that all these people who are fighting against the government end up committing suicide. It is weird. Supposedly. Supposedly. But you went down the rabbit hole. We've got, uh, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes left here. You went down the rabbit hole on, what was it, Asajj and Snowden? A little bit. I mean, there was a lot that I found with Snowden. I mean, I, I really think that, in all honesty, those are ones that we almost might want to do on their own. Um, Snowden was one of those ones that, I never really looked that deep into um, until now. And it was kind of one of those things, once I kind of went down that, I kind of got lost where I was supposed to be looking at some of the ones that had been random whistleblowers that had been killed. But then once I started looking at Snowden, I'm like, oh, wow. You know, and, and Assange, and you got the, the Bradley Manning or Chelsea Manning or whatever the name is. But... um once you really started looking into some of the stuff that happened with Snowden, you know, a lot of people start getting that argument where people are like, oh, was he a hero or is he, is he a traitor? And I'm like, he's a hero. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, we, we should just do an, an entire show devoted to him or, or split it between him and Julian Assange and, and because it's a fascinating story all around. I think a lot of people know the generalities of it but when you really dig into it it's pretty crazy and we've only been dealing with the u.s whistleblowers you know what i in my research i found more people in india 
like the whistleblowers over in India, they they all end up dead. It's really creepy. Yes. Really creepy how and and, and Russia too. Uh, I think we all know that. I think everybody knows about like you, you mess with the party, the party messes with you kind of thing. I noticed it was India, Russia, and um, Iran. <laughs> Iran was another one. I, I ran into a, a few. I see people that went against what Iran was doing, and all of a sudden they just either died or randomly disappeared. Yeah, they just disappeared. But that's that's how the uh, that's how the you know the big the big boys, whether it be big corporations or whether it be the government, that's how they that's how they do. Because it's a message. Yeah. It's a message. Don't mess with us. Don't, you know, just duck your head. Keep your head down. Do what you're told to do. Pretend that's, pr- pretend everything's okay. And go about your life. And if you step out of line, I mean, who knows what goes on in China, right? Because we, you can't get reports out of China. You can't trust them anyway. But I'm sure it's rampant over there, too. You speak out against the party or you... I mean, even the doctor, the original doctor who was trying to blow the whistle on COVID, and it wasn't even to the public. It was to his fellow doctors. He did like a YouTube video, supposedly died of the virus, but a lot a lot of people over there do not believe that was the case. Oh, no. No one believes that's the case over there. Yeah. So it, if you, I guess the lesson is have your affairs in order. And make sure make sure you go to the right people and get the right protection if you're going to be a whistleblower because a lot of them end up disappearing or dead. They do. They end up disappearing or dead. I mean, there, there's been very few cases where you have a whistleblower who do, didn't end up dead. And part of it is because they come so famous or really what they, they, they let out wasn't that big. Like Chelsea Manning, who's actually – or Bradley Manning, whatever – who's out of jail now right <laughs> after seven years if you go back and look at really what was released there it was a bunch of random whatever um they, they tried to do stuff you know julian songs you know tried to to release a whole bunch of stuff that was mind-blowing but then you have snowden who is who who can never leave russia and can never freaking even come anywhere where there's you know an extradition treaty because what he released was mind-blowing and you're like oh damn yeah Yeah. and you know manning got caught because he he talked to the wrong person right i know it's that's why i'm saying i i am a fan of whistleblowers i think we need more of them in fact i think the solution to losing whistleblowers is that more more and more whistleblowers actually come out because you know there's strength in numbers obviously so if you have people blowing the whistle left right and center and and you know then the public attention is on it and it's it's much more difficult for them to just erase you so to speak and that seems what happens if you go down the list and i mean you really look at some of the even some of the older ones all of a sudden a lot of these whistleblowers have died really weird deaths or just suddenly disappeared or committed and, suicide supposedly yeah or committed suicide with two shots to the head <laughs> which that one is the one that always gets me it's like and that's what i remember the gary webb i'm like wait a minute this is the guy that shot himself twice in the head right right so and tell me how that works i mean 
you know, at least the other ones, they only shot them once. But I mean, it's like Gary Webb. It's like, did you have a new guy? It's like here, like you, you can try your first one. No, that's not the right way. Here's how you shoot it. I mean, well, and the fact that they immediately seal the cases up, they, they don't really, yeah. you know, they lock it away. They, I think, isn't that the one too, that they said that they, they, they locked it away and said, you can't look at it for 70 years. Yeah. They do that all the time. Yeah. They do that all the time. Because by then, everybody who was involved is most likely gone. Like, they're dead. And so there's going to be no fallout. It's the same thing with these reports from Pfizer and Moderna and AstraZeneca where they said, yeah, well, we'll release our findings on these vaccines in 50 years. And then they changed, oh, no, maybe it'll be more like 70 years. we'll We'll get around to it when we can. Because you know. then, like you said, the, by that time, anybody who could be prosecuted for it, it's like you're going to prosecute their grandkids. Right. Well, and, and even if they go after the company, what is the company? I mean, the people who were responsible, they don't care. They don't care if the company goes down. They made their money and they got out. So it's a um, it's messed up, man. There's a lot of things that go on in the shadows. A lot of things that go on, you know, outside of the realm of our everyday lives where we're just, we're living and we're doing our thing and you just don't realize that there's, there's whole other worlds going on out there. And there are people who are living in absolute fear because they're holding on to some information or they've released some information and the powers that be and those that operate in the shadows are now after them. And that's a real fear. It is. I mean, it's one of those things, like I said, when when I and that's like I said, we should probably do the Snowden because when I went down that and sort of really looking at him and that's kind of like one of the problems that I had with like researching for this week. All of a sudden, everything I was researching because I was so fascinated with Snowden that I just like I said, I kind of cursory glance at him before. But this was the first time I really went down that rabbit hole and like really look at him like, wow. Yeah, well, we'll do that in a future episode. All right. Well, that's it for us this week. I'll be with you on the midweek podcast and I've got some mind blowing stuff. I've got some mind blowing clips from Gates and from some people from the Davos World Economic Forum. They're really showing their true colors. And uh, it's yeah, I, I don't even it, it was jaw dropping. is a hero. It was jaw-dropping even for me to hear, and I've heard some of their more crazy stuff. So I'm looking forward to sharing that. Again, everybody, thanks again for the positive reviews. You, we, we really, really appreciate it. You don't know how much we appreciate that. And we will never ask for that again unless it's an emergency. So thank you yeah. for those who stepped up. And email us at downtherh at protonmail.com. We love hearing from you. And I will see you on Wednesday. Brandon, I will see you back here on uh, uh, next week. Yes, we will be back next week. So uh, who knows what we're gonna, what fun we're going to talk about this time. Uh, I'm sure it'll be a blast. I'm Big D. Brandon. We'll see you next week. See you later.